You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show, and it's the first of our Edinburgh Live recordings here from the Edinburgh Fringe 2015. This is Catherine Ryan. Thank you. Even by my low standards, Catherine, this uh-huh. is ridiculous. And, uh, and people sitting in the front will see that when going for an emergency last glug of water, I actually dipped my nose in the glass. So That's allowed. I'm looking forward to you bringing some, uh, so I don't know what, class, professionalism? I mean, uh, positivity. I'm really pumped up already because I just took a bite of the world's most delicious ginger biscuit. Oh, if is... you haven't got a ginger biscuit, hook yourself up with a ginger biscuit. This is Catherine Ryan very professionally getting the local audience on side. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you're doing. Tell us how the run is. I saw your show the other night. I saw one of your extra shows because mm-hmm. you've done that magical thing at Edinburgh of coming up here, selling out your run kind of straight away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really prickish to, to be like, yeah, sold out, mate. You can't make it. You could come because there are returns sometimes. Word gets around. You know, that I'm a nasty woman. And, uh, or uh, sometimes the stand is too much of a walk for people. They don't turn up. Yes. And uh, I'll tell you who doesn't mess around. Stand three. And they'll sell those tickets. Re- yeah. Explain so, what you mean. I'm sorry. I'm slightly lost. Well, if you don't turn up or if you return your tickets, oh, they're see. really happy to sell them on. So there are people. And this is true, I think, with a lot of Edinburgh Fringe Festival shows. If you turn up 30 minutes before the gig, often they'll release production tickets or returns. I've been able to see loads of things that way. Very nice. Mm. I got, I, the, my hot tip is to go to things on your own. Is yeah. that a hot tip? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I find you get in, you wander through, and you go, oh, look, there's a seat, and there's a one down the front because everyone likes sitting apart from each other. The cinema, prom. So, <laughs> well, well I was, my next question, my first question really was about to go, you seem very positive for someone who on stage I've seen tear celebrities new assholes in the uh, vernacular. Um, so new bleached assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start with how it's going down. How are you being received here? Do oh, you think? Do you find? Are you getting from kind of behind? Walk- <laughs> I. Are you? Do you find you're getting walkouts from people who weren't expecting it, or does everyone know what to expect now when they come to a Catherine Ryan show? You know, Stuart, that's really lovely because when you're starting out, you're always a surprise and sometimes a very unwelcome one. But now it's just that 
shift of uh, people coming to see you on purpose. And that's lovely. Nobody walks out. Uh, a man fainted, but that's because some of the venues are really, really hot. Uh, and I was wearing a very revealing dress. No, I, I don't know. I just like, people are really kind. And I don't, I think Jimmy Carr said really beautifully that offense is never given, it's taken. So why are you going to, I mean, I can't imagine someone to be, oh, no, not listening to this anymore and walking out. That's not going to happen. They don't come to see my show, those types of people. Did it happen uh, before you had more of a name for yourself? Did it happen when you were as part of a mixed bill? Were you? I mean, I think we should also explain. I, I'm sure everyone here knows you and is familiar with your work. But for anyone listening in the darkest corners of the world who hasn't heard of you, what, what kind of thing do you do in your own words? Uh, yeah, so for my mom and my dad, if they're listening, <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> I ran away to become a comedian, and I live in England now. And my stuff, I mean, is uh, sometimes very introspective. I talk about uh, myself and the things I think. Being a mom, being a single mom, dating uh, the type of terrible men that I like to date. But then I also, just like Joan Rivers did, I think, uh, everyone's up for grabs. So you dig into yourself first, and then it's okay, and then you can go after celebrities. But you always beef up. You never punch down. So I wouldn't go after someone who is down on their luck or coming off a terrible scandal already. I hit people like Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Cheryl Cole. Okay. Those who can take it. And I don't like to talk about uh, what a celebrity looks like necessarily, but more about the meta-narrative, like the way they behave. It's kind of like a woman's magazine if a woman's magazine had words in it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because obviously a criticism leveled at women's magazines and sort of, yeah. I don't know if that's maybe other things as well, is that they that you're putting the boot into people. Now, you it's interesting, you've got that right and your eyes lit up for the benefit of the listener. <laughs> I've got some boots, I put them in. Uh, um, so that's interesting, the idea of punching up, particularly when it's like when you say people who can take it. Now, obviously, the Beyonce's and the Taylor Swift's of yeah. this world. I mean, is Cheryl Cole really on that sort of a level? Yeah, is there, is yeah. there a... Yeah, is there, do you have a gradient? Have you have you written a great joke about someone in the past and thought, oh, actually, they're not having such a great time at the moment. I won't use it. No, because I don't think that my jokes are ever cheap. I talk about behavior. So my problem with Cheryl Cole is that she maybe doesn't treat everyone very nicely. She's a bit of a diva. I'm just like, no, you're not. You've been famous since you were 15. You're nothing like me. Also, I think that it's interesting. I'm talking about us as a nation. We got over her uh, horrendous racist assault charge just because she's pretty. She's pretty. Oh, gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So it's fine. And, I, and that's a more a statement about the uh, forensic kind of type of celebrity digging that I do, just the way that celebrity works more than the celebrity, his or herself. Okay. Do you, as it, I'm sure it's occurred to you that you are on a, a very impressive trajectory at the moment. And if you're not already a celebrity, perhaps you will be one day soon. Are you concerned that you'll be entering the fray? No, not at all. Because uh, I peaked in terms of celebrity status, when I was maybe 10 years old, I was a big celebrity at my school. Huge celebrity. Absolutely everyone hated me. Uh, I was like that dentist in America who killed the lion. I was like... <laughs> I was that kind of celebrity. Cecil. R.I.P. Cecil. You know my views on Cecil the Lion. Again, relating it all back to fame, this dentist paid $55,000 to go to Zimbabwe and shoot a majestic lion for sport. And then when everybody got upset about that, his excuse was, I didn't know Cecil was famous. <laughs> 
But yeah, that's why we're sad. So when American police accidentally shoot Beyonce, <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, we had no idea this innocent young black woman was famous. We thought it was Michelle. Uh, I think... <laughs> No, I mean, um, I have this part of my makeup that's broken. I've never been hurt by any type of words or bullying, uh, especially when it's well-written. I love the American Comedy Central roasts, and I participated in one of those with Jeff Ross and this wonderful uh, woman uh, named Sarah Tiana, who does a lot of writing for Jeff Ross, and she's a comedian in her own. She's very, very talented. Jimmy Carr actually traveled there and won the whole thing. It was a roast-off. He uh, represented Britain very well and won, but she had terrible things to say about me. I loved it. I was smiling, listening. It's really fun. I mean, I'm not important enough to be precious. Oh, don't you make fun of me. Oh, I expect everyone in my hometown to love me so dearly. Of course they weren't going to like me. Of course they weren't. It didn't bother me then. It wouldn't bother me now. It's fun. When you say that, how much... How much truth is there in the idea that if you were... I mean, would you say you were bullied when you were 10 years old? When you say everyone hated you, would it take the form of bullying or just people talking about you behind your back? I mean, I was better than them, so it wasn't bullying. (laughs) Uh. That's obviously... That's part of your stance. That's part of your persona. Yeah. And I am kind of fascinated by how much that's really the truth of you as a 10-year-old girl. You you just went, hey, fine. Okay, well, when uh, I was older than 10, I was maybe 13, all the girls, and these are the real high school film girls that you see in the American movies, like the cheerleaders, Catherine, why can't you be normal like us? I was like, you bitches aren't normal, you're ordinary. Uh, but they would, uh, they made a magazine, and this was very forward thinking before Twitter and online bullying. They made a, a newspaper, and my picture was on the cover next to a picture of a camel, and it said, thank God for makeup. And then it was written inside all these things about me and my little weird friends. We were alternative. And uh, it really, all my friends cried. And I was always fine with it. And the principal of the school was really worried that I was fine with it. He thought I was planning, like, a school shooting. I was like, <laughs> he was like, it's really not okay, Catherine. Don't you want to cry? Aren't you sad? And I just said, like, no, it's tabloid journalism. It's pretty flattering, actually. I never cared. I never cared. I genuinely, I don't know why. Help me, Stuart. Why do you... Well, okay, I'm, I'm interested. Everything you said there, obviously, is a performative situation, but the whole way you've described it there is from your show. Yeah. And those are written jokes about your show. But those it's a true are... story. Sure, absolutely. The newspaper but... is called The Underground. <laughs> okay, so it genuinely happened. And are we getting... I mean, we're we getting absolutely a sense of you, how you have... You've gone through that situation, come out the other side, packaged it for the stage... And I'm not suggesting that any of it is a lie necessarily, but how much of it are we? How much of it can we assume is someone who is now full of confidence in defending herself, and and actually defending herself in quite an aggressive way? But you know, there's loads of funny jokes about what idiots those girls are. Yeah, and they really are. But I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. The more times somebody says, "I don't care, I don't care," then it does bother them. I would be upset if my peers disliked me. If people that I respected. Uh, actually didn't like a show that I did or didn't like me as a human being, I think I would find that really difficult to deal with. Um, Luckily for me, I am adored unanimously. Uh, Yeah, I think that would bother me. It would. But these people, I mean, you got to come to my hometown and see. It didn't bother me. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the same as I do to celebrities. I don't tear apart their soul or their work 
It'll be specific behaviors that I think that they would have a laugh about. And if someone did the same to me, I, th- I really can't see myself having a problem with it. Can you, you must be able to, I, I, we're not going to spend the entire interview talking about this, but I think it's yeah. a fascinating facet of what you do, seeing as you're, I mean, I've heard it described as like a, almost the genre of, of an insult comic. I think of that kind of, I think yeah. of Joan Rivers or uh, Bianca Del Rio from Drag Race. Yeah, or something, yeah. You know what I mean? Just bang, bang, bang. Just amazing. And I saw Bianca live in San Francisco. Oh. Absolutely destroy the ballroom. It was, it was amazing. And you're very much within that kind of category. Like, I feel like we could see you come on stage and you would just be able to just take out every single person in the room. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm not an insult comic in that way. I think you can roast in a benevolent manner. And it's funny how that's never translated properly. It doesn't work in the the UK, UK. does it? No. People feel really strange about it. Jimmy Carr did a roast in it. I thought it was brilliant, but I don't know what it is that Americans now, uh, in my own personal experience, they... It's not that they're more sophisticated at all, but there's something about the roast language that they understand, and that's what I'm doing. So if people were to come to see my show and there were people that I hadn't met before, I had no framework, I would never be like, ugh, your dress, your jacket, your watch, your wife. Never. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) That's not fun for me. And from time to time, I've had a heckler, a very uh, drunk, usually woman. Thanks, girls. Uh, They're the worst, drunk people. But, uh, yep. So uh, be really mean, just nasty, saying nothing. And if I've been in a bad mood, shooting that person down even makes me feel really sad. Do you do it anyway? No, I don't. I've done it once, and I felt really terribly about it for about a week. What were the circumstances? Do you remember what you said? just really drunk, and she said something about, Ah, you're shit. Look at at you. Look at you. You're shit. Why is the fucking... Look at you. I'm not... It was, you can't come back to someone that drunk because they don't know when they're beaten. And I don't know where I went with it, but I was really mean to her. I flipped the bitch switch. And I wish I hadn't because that's not fun. It's not fun to hurt people. So is, sorry, I thought you were going to say something else there. I wasn't being deliberately leaving a dramatic pause. Is it? <laughs> think about it in your own lives. Um, I think, I th- I, I'm interested in this idea of the roast because I, th- I wonder if, um, part of the reason it works in the States is the world of celebrity in the States is mm. full of uh, it's kind of falsehood, suppose, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Perhaps it's full of falsehood, and so people like it when you say the real, the truth behind it, the thing that you say, the unsayable. Maybe in the UK, we're just used to saying the unsayable. We're just used to being mean to each other. Maybe. I mean, it is a very uh, saturated tabloid culture. There are more daily newspapers in the UK than there are in Canada and America combined. You have your own real system of celebrity. But I think what, what resonated with people maybe with, with my Cheryl Cole views is not just that I went after her, but I did it in a way that people maybe don't do. And if it's on the nose, if people agree, mm-hmm. then you're fine. Like it is really bad what she did to that toilet attendant. And it is true about us that we forgave her simply because she was cheated on by Ashley Cole and got fake teeth. Like, <laughs> Like that was the whole reason we were all like, oh, that's fine then. And, uh, and to point that out is actually really sophisticated, or at least I try to be. It's not just going slagging people off. Sure. I think you that's find, what I try to do. You have a real skill, I think, for finding like an inversion in, in someone's behavior, like finding the inverted. What's the, what's the parallel, the real-life parallel of the, yeah. of the celebrity situation? I, I try to, yeah. Like, I mean, as you said then, describing the girls, you know, you're not... Uh, 
you're not normal. Was it you're not normal, you're ordinary? Yeah. But that's a beautifully written. So is, when, you, when you come to write something like that, and is that something that tumbles out of you, or is that something that you craft and you sit down and with a laptop or a pen and you try and find just the right word? Yeah, I don't have a really good process. Do you sit down with a laptop and write? I have done in the past. Oh. I do a bit. I hate it. I hate every second of it. I want to do that more. I don't. I just walk and sometimes think about things and put them in my phone. But I'm really interested in, in media and celebrity and all the news uh, anyway. So I see that. I'll have an opinion on it. And then it's about kind of crafting that later on. But usually I have to be on stage to do it. That's why I do open mics to figure that out. And the first time it's not funny at all. It'll just be an idea. But I wish I could sit. I know some uh, comedians who wake up at 9 a.m., and put their clothes on and make a tea and have an office and just work. I'll do that for a panel show because you've really got to, as you know, watch all the news and prepare uh, jokes and arguments about it, and that helps. But I wish I could do that all the time. Do you find that there are particular uh, tricks that you're not tricks, particular uh, systems that you rely on? Do you catch yourself doing like? Is is do you identify a kind of a Catherine Ryan take on a subject? What's a typical take on a subject for you? Oh, I don't know. What's the typical take? The right one. <laughs> I, I don't. Do you have that? Well, that's a different question, maybe. Do you have that performative confidence that you have now, whereby you're very high status, your status is very elevated, the joke is often that you're right and everyone else is wrong? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you... Well, that's where my personal life comes in, because my personal life is a mess, and I'm always wrong. And you have to be vulnerable and you have to be the, the biggest mark in your show to get away with the rest of the stuff. And I, I have no problem laying it all out and being very revealing and, and very... Uh, I, mean, I mean, I talk about my own life. I point out my own mistakes. I think I, I pretty much roast myself better than anyone else. And do you, do you always do that? Do you, do you yeah. notice a difference in, say, you have to do a five-minute or a three-minute spot for a TV thing? Mm-hmm. And do you have to make sure that you put in time to roast yourself before doing the Cheryl Cole routine? Or does that, is that strong enough that the jokes work on their own? You're right. Yeah, especially in Britain, I do think you have to be self-deprecating a little bit before you can go at someone else. Otherwise, you do just seem like a bitch. It's like, blah, blah. but again, I don't know, actually. If, in a really short spot, if the jokes are smart enough, people can see that you're not just being cheap. And I've, I've learned, because I used to say, uh, I used to joke about my daughter's father and our split and how we don't like one another. And I only started to do that when we became friends again. So I really okay. do like him now, and we are friends. And now it's fun to get all those jokes about what a, what a terrible human being we are and how we're enemies. And uh, the, what's fun about that is that he knows it's not true, and I know it's not true, and she will always grow up knowing that that's not true. But it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because people pick me up on that. They'll be like, oh, you can't talk about your child's father. You can if you're still married, but if you're divorced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That is. Yeah. That's a little, I mean, that's a, that's a very you approach, like spotting, out, spotting a hypocrisy yeah. in what you're told to do, in the way you're told to behave. But Kirsty Alsop came after me about something, about saying that uh, my daughter's father and I didn't get along. I said, oh, um, we, we're not together anymore, but we are still really good friends, is a lie I tell to protect her. We are not good friends. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth in that. As far as my daughter, who's six years old, knows, we're best friends. We don't row. We get on. It's perfect. But uh, he's not someone that I would be, you know, after a split, it is what it is. You make the best of what you have. And she came after me on Twitter and was like, what a terrible woman, blah, blah. Kirstie Alsop is an interior decorator and uh, who famously That's said... That's not a euphemism, just to guess yeah. right, not for you. 
She she did an article in a newspaper that got a lot of press actually, and it was that women should delay their education and have babies younger, mm-hmm. and that was very. Uh, I mean, it, 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 I don't know. Polarizing, <laughs> polarizing, and so I, I just, uh, I felt badly. But then I thought, you know what? Had I stayed in school longer and not had my daughter so young, maybe I would still be with her dad. Great advice, Kirsty Alsop. Her comments are actually dangerous to yeah. to young women. What I said wasn't dangerous. Like, stay out of my life, Kirsty Alsop. But uh, I did feel a little bit. I think I've learned that to answer your question in a really long way around. I think that I've learned if I feel a little bit uncomfortable about what I have said on stage, then I've done the right thing. I think that's the kind of comedy. Say, say that, that I again, like. sorry. If you feel a bit uncomfortable, then you feel you've done the right thing. Yeah, for me. Because the jokes that I love the best, I always feel a little bit scared about in the beginning. Am I going to get picked up on that? Am I going to get sued again? Am I going to get. And I just feel like, yeah, I've gotten comfortable with that's the way it's meant to be from me, I think. Tell us about. That when that has gone wrong, you say sued again. Is that the Philippines? Did, was it the, yeah, the actually, Philippines sued you, or did they just banned you? Um, oh, you can't. Okay. So that is the best way to not answer a question. Is on le- <laughs> is on legal advice. That's fair I can I can do it like carefully. All that happened is so dumb. I was cheated on like a million times, but I only found out about the one time at the time. And I wrote a show a little bit about that. Not including any names or anything, but the wonderful man who cheated on me uh, and was an all-around prick, really. He got upset that I was doing a show about being cheated on. It was my story. It was my like narrative. It wasn't about him, but he got really upset and threatened to sue me if I didn't keep quiet about having been cheated on. And I am not a woman who likes to be silenced. Uh, so that was weird. That was difficult for me because you that, that's what you get when you cheat on a comedian. She, like, I'm sorry, I didn't talk about him personally, but you have to talk about your life. And that, that was about my interactions with this other woman and my failures and my poor judgment. That's what that was about. Okay. I'd do it again. And you don't do that show anymore, so no. have you ceased and desisted? But, well, you, but he, I, I believe I know the stuff, and I, think, I feel like I've seen it on YouTube. Yeah, he, uh, he didn't end up suing me that okay. one. So I, I dodged jail for being cheated on. Oh, lucky me. <laughs> God. Did that, how did that make you feel? Compared you with the 10-year-old you being bullied and being made fun of and it all just gliding off you, is this sort of the injustice of that? Is that more of a bind? Is that presumed? I imagine that your reaction to it would be, now you write a show about being sued for writing no. a show. No, he's dead. You can kill a person just by never talking about them again. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You could just never look at them or talk to them. You block them on everything and all, and they die. So he's dead. Um, For the benefit of the listener, we may or may not be talking metaphorically. <laughs> you can't libel the dead. No, he, uh, he's not in any show anymore. Is it? But I was lucky. It didn't make me sad when he had that reaction. It made me feel like, oh, great. Then I have definitely, definitely, definitely done the right thing by leaving you. So this is the fantastic Catherine Ryan. I'm keeping this one short and sweet in terms of the blurbs from me uh, in this episode. As you can probably hear, there's some background noise of uh, a lovely, one of those lovely little nooks in Edinburgh that you get off the main drag and find yourself in a lovely little green square where ball games are prohibited. Um, Thank you so much for downloading the show. Uh, Catherine is just an incredible comic. She walks on stage and you just think, bang, star quality. She has got completely brilliant jokes. She's got an an incredibly, as as you'll hear, she's just... Just absolutely on the nose 
uh, when it comes to her use of language, when it comes to the targets whom she directs, her jokes, the, the brevity of them, the, uh, the, the leanness of the words uh, that she uses, and uh, she's just an absolute joy to watch. So I can't recommend tracking her down enough to try and, find, uh, try and see one of her live shows, and she's got bundles of stuff on YouTube as well. Um, uh, as I said, I'm going to keep this short and sweet as I parade around getting funny looks from people. Um, this is not too dissimilar to me uh, hanging around under a tree in Auckland. Uh, I think it was last year, year and a half ago. I forget the episode. Now, um, what will I tell you? The, the Edinburgh shows are going fantastically well. I'm very pleased to announce that my solo show, An Hour, um, has been nominated for the Amused Moose Comedy Awards. I'm not wholly certain of the, uh, the, the title of that, but there's uh, ten of us. Ten finalists uh, tomorrow will be uh, doing a thing there that people can come and see. And then I believe there's... It's one of those nebulous arrangements of, like, it's partially an audience vote and partially some judges and partially a panel and partially some kind of uh, incredible puppetry um, <laughs> will be involved. But that's uh, very nice. I mean, very good company uh people like ian smith and john hastings and jess robinson um and uh, richard gad who i really recommend you track down richard gad's show this year i've only been able to see the last 15 minutes of it and it absolutely knocked my socks off so uh, when he comes to the soho theater as i'm sure he will do remember to look out for richard gad and so great company to be in thank you very much i don't believe i can uh, ask you to vote for that i think it all gets resolved before you'll hear this episode but um that's very pleased i've had some nice reviews more importantly i've been really enjoying pbh's free fringe uh, i've been packing out the room at the cannon's gate so if you're in town you can come along at 4.55, although I would highly recommend getting there at 4.25 at the latest to ensure you get a little token. They're very tight on fire regs as well, they might be. Um, so come along and see that at the Canongate pub on Canongate in Edinburgh. Uh, you can also come and see more of these live shows, uh, of which Catherine Ryan is the, the first that we're releasing. So far, we've had uh, Will Durst, uh, John Lloyd, a terrific show with John Lloyd, an absolute mind-bender of a show with Tommy Tiernan, and then a really invigoratingly difficult one with Stuart Francis, who uh, is a brilliant, brilliant comic and is completely, as you will hear when we release that in a few weeks, completely physically unable to not do his act to not be funny and uh, and he's got some very good reasons i really pushed him on it and he's it, it makes for a really really i think a very fascinating episode so plenty more of those to come there's still a few left with uh who have we got tonight may martin and then we've got joel domit daniel sloss ronnie chang ashling b loads more people you can get the full lineup for who's on when if you if you join the uh, the comedians comedian facebook group uh, page group page facebook group um, so find out all that info or follow at ComComPod uh, and you can email info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to send me a message with requests and suggestions for future guests. And of course, remember, you can donate at comedianscomedian.com. You can uh, click on the PayPal button, donate five, 10, 20 pounds or whatever you think this show is worth to you. We now have merch and I really nearly want to tell you I've got a great idea for a code system. So if you... The system is going to be, don't do it yet, the system is going to be if you donate £22.22 to the PayPal account, then that will be a code and I will go, aha, this person wants a T-shirt and I shall send a T-shirt to you. And I think we'll work out something more specific with the 22. If it's 21, 22, 23, 24, then that will be a, a code for the size, right? Pretty great way of doing it without needing to faff around installing a, a, a merchandising client on the website. So... Those are very, very nearly available. You can buy them uh, for, in cash for 20 quid or 15 quid, I think we're doing at the, um, at the live shows at Black Medicine at 5 to 11 for the rest of the festival. So come along to those if you'd like to grab your merch. Uh, also, the ComComPod laminates are available now. I'll put a picture of those on the website. Honestly, as soon as I get round to it, I'm going to go and eat some food now, <laughs> and then I'm going to go do my show. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
I hope you're enjoying it. I'm having a whale of a time at the festival. You can probably, you'll remember from, uh, from last week's uh, spoken bit. I call it blurbs. Let's refer to it as the blurbs. You'll remember from last week's blurbs, I put far, far too much on my plate. And uh, a lot of things have had to fall by the wayside. I've tried to see as much as I can so that I can uh, be genned up when I interview some of the brilliant comedians that we've got here this year. Um, and there is still one special uh, mystery guest yet to be announced for the very final uh, Comedians Comedian Live at Black Medicine at 5 to 11 on the final Saturday of the Fringe. That's all for now. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Loads of you are coming out and, and seeing the live show. It's great to meet you. Thank you for coming, to everyone that has. And uh, I'm really proud of this year's show. I'm really, really super proud of it. I'm having, I think I'm having the most fun Fringe ever. So thanks for being a part of it. Uh, feel free to come and see one of the things. And uh, it's the free Fringe. Bring money, as I've become fond of saying at, uh, at lineup shows that I'm directing people here. Um, so that's all for now. Let's get back to the absolutely brilliant Catherine Ryan. <laughs> So when you started comedy, when did you, you, did you start in the UK? No, I started in Canada in, I don't even know what year, maybe 2007, yeah, and I had done a couple gigs. I wasn't a jobbing comic, I was doing open mics, and I was waitressing, and I was in uni, and I was doing all these things. I just did comedy because I liked it, I just, it was like a Zumba class, it was this okay. thing for me that I liked to do. What, in what way was it like, it's a lovely, that's a lovely idea, in what way was it a Zumba class? Like, is it that it's expressive or that it's so scary you come out of it feeling invigorated? What kind of... Yeah, that's good, all those things. I mean, it's, it's invigorating, but it's also an exercise. It's something that you do uh, to make yourself stronger. And, that, and you don't do a Zumba class to show off to everyone else. You're not going to pull it out at a dinner party or become like a Zumba teacher maybe, but you just enjoy it. Everybody has hobbies. I just did it for myself because I was working in an environment where I couldn't always speak. I think having a voice is so important. And I've understood more about having a voice as a, a woman growing older and being a mom now. And a lot of women all around the world don't have a voice. And I think it really wound me up. There are always people telling me, don't say that. Don't, you can't say that. That's so weird. Don't say that. So stand-up comedy is so liberating. I love it. What, uh, I mean, is that, you, is that the voice of your, your childhood peers again, saying don't say that? Or is that your parents? Or is that, who, who, is, who inhabits that voice that you feel is telling you not to say something? Everyone. I just always knew that if I riffed, with anyone at any time, at Christmas, at school, at a family, it was met with the confusion. Like, why would she say that? What's she <laughs> fucking saying? Yeah. So how did you keep going? How did you keep, if, how did you keep riffing, being told over and over again, like, if the whole reaction of everyone around you? Well, I didn't for a while. I really bottled it up, and I tried to be a cheerleader for a while, and then I worked at Hooters for a while, uh, which is not a titty bar, but I know that when you don't have one, you think that oh, Hooters, they know what it is in North America. It's a sports bar, beer and wings. and sure. yeah. But I worked there, and I, I really genuinely thought the best thing that a young woman could be was pretty, to, to be a decoration. And I tried to play that role for a little while. It didn't last very long. But I found people all the time. You know, there's always going to be a little theater group in your town. Whatever town that is, you'll find your people. Whatever school you're at, you'll find your people. One of my sisters was really cool. The other one. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen the show. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I went to uni, and I went to uni specifically. I was kind of like a... And I know that uh, the experience of a closeted young gay person is very difficult and different to what mine was, but I was closeted in a way that often their, their story is, I went to the big city 
to find people like me. These places filled with people who've never been anywhere in the world can be very stunted and closed-minded. And I kind of had the same. And that's why a lot of my peer group are these gay men. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And that I go out dancing with. We kind of have the same upbringing. And I, I hope I'm not marginalizing anyone by saying that, but that's how I but felt. But you sort of felt socially closeted. Yeah. So when you first struck out on stage, when you first... Well, what was, what was the moment when you first felt like yourself? Was it your very first gig or was it you know, a couple of years in or a couple of gigs in? When did you... Was there a moment when you remember going, ah, oh, this is it, I'm out of the closet on stage? Oh, no, I think... Yeah, I don't know. I think we have little victories every day little things will make you feel more like yourself i don't know who i am yet i'm 32 years old um that's too old to do anything in america but uh here i i'm still allowed on television in the uk <laughs> yeah. and uh i think the a big milestone was having my daughter because uh and you can be a mother or a father you don't have to be but for me it really gave me this sense of oh i don't matter at all and that was great that was a real uh, awakening to myself. I, I can do what I like. I can make mistakes. I can get up. I can fall down. But as long as my child is healthy and well, then nothing else matters. Oh, it's hugely, hugely liberating be- becoming a mom because you really don't matter anymore. You can't, who is it? Sarah Kendall, uh, a really talented Australian comedian who works a lot in the UK. She has this joke about having a great gig, or getting, you know, feeling a little bit important. And then saying, oh, you know, I'm really on to something here. And going home and having to, like, wipe her daughter's bum. And the daughter was like, give me that book. Pass me that book. And she said, I'm not your slave. And it's very difficult to convince someone that you're not their slave when you're wiping their ass. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk. Let's talk about the... So just just to stay with that... um, that, that first kind of gigging experience. Yeah. You, you, you say you're, you don't know who you are yet, almost. Like that process of finding your voice is still continuing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd be an idiot if I thought I was enlightened. Like, yep, I figured it out, Stu. Sure, but you are enjoying a certain degree of success and huge sellout shows, and you have a... You have, I hate to use the word brand, but do you know what I mean? I think people go like... You, you may not feel like you have your voice, but people know who you are. They know who they're coming to see. Yeah. So that person, if it's not your voice, call it something else. But that person, did did that start on day one? Did that arise um, on your first Edinburgh show? Did that arise on the first time you played a particular gig? Yeah. I know it's, it's always a process of chipping away at it, but I'm, I just want to stay with this idea of the, the moment of coming out the closet. The moment of going, yeah, fine, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, I don't... Let, let me think. I'm not sure. I, well, I started doing stand-up in Canada, that was still, like, met with mixed reviews. Uh, and then the UK was one little epiphany where there were all kinds of different voices and you could be more authentic in your voice. I love that about the UK. People, you don't have to be one type of comedian. I found that in Canada, and again, I hate to speak about an industry that I'm not really in, but from what I could see in my own personal experience, it seemed like the best 
received comedian was in the checkered shirt with a beard, kind of a bigger guy who could tour all across in the prairies and everywhere else. I was not that. I was alternative to them. In the UK, I'm not alternative. That was cool. That was a bit of like, oh, oh, this is okay. And there are all these women on the bill and all these uh, sketch acts and different kinds of comics. And then a big moment was when I first did 8 out of 10 Cats with Jimmy Carr and Sean Locke and John Richardson. And that was May 2012. I was really, really scared because they are amazing headliner comedians that I've always looked up to. Hannibal Buress was over from America. He is great as well. Stephen Magan was on. And I thought, I can jump out the window or I can just do it the way I know because I can't beat them in their voice. I knew that if I went out there and tried to compete with... Sean Locke, I wasn't going to do it because I'm not Sean Locke. And I, it was really a punt. I mean, I went out and I did material. I took football and made it about celebrities. And I took this well, something else, The Voice, the show The Voice, and I made it a little bit rude. And I just did as loudly as I could, I mean, metaphorically loudly, my own voice. And I thought, this is it. This is how I do it. And it worked, but it could have gone the other way. That's that you mentioned. I think that's fascinating, and I, I, I think that idea of authenticity yeah. is something that I, I don't think I ever used to strive for. I had a sense of just kind of, oh, I do what I do, mm. and I suppose only recently am I kind of uh, like my, that's my latest thing is kind of going, no, don't just do what you do. Try and be real in what you do. Yeah, and and how do you find that authenticity? How do you nurture that authenticity? Do you have moments when you find yourself? Do you ever feel on stage, ah, oh, the way I said that or the way I'm practicing this thing is inauthentic? Or do you now, are you so clear in kind of, this is how I feel about the subject that you can take a line through it? Yeah, I don't think about that at all. I just, I'm not a very complicated person. I kind of only have one way of looking at everything and it's, it's my voice all the time because it comes from me. So, no, I don't think about it. And do you... Am I supposed to? Oh, no. No, you're absolutely not. Don't. I don't, we can't break, Catherine. Uh, That's the downside of this podcast. Yes, go I, away and think about this too much. I wouldn't say something on stage that I didn't think is funny. And sometimes I say things on stage that no one else thinks are funny. And do you still believe in them when you have, like, a, say, a new bit? Like, what's the difference between you uh, having your killer set that works, your you know, killer yeah. club 20, whatever you're rocking at the time, you, uh, you do that at a gig and it just doesn't go off. What's the difference between that feeling and you trying a new bit that you believe in that gets nothing? Um, I still like doing a new bit that gets nothing. I wouldn't do that somewhere that would disappoint a, a huge group of people sure, who but like come in, to see. Yeah, in but, old rope, in, in, a, you know, exactly. in, a, in a kind of open spot thing. If you, how many times do you try a bit before thinking, I've got, I've got to give this up, I just can't make it work? Oh. Or do you make it all work? Yeah, maybe five times. If, if something really dies, I'll take it out. I'm trying to think about, there's a bit right now that doesn't really work that well. It's about how I have a superhero power of, uh, t- I, I like, I, I've dated a string of terrible men, put it that way. And it's about how that's going to continue because of how great my daughter is. I always celebrate my daughter. That's another thing. People go, oh, do you worry about talking about her? There's no way that I could be anything but adoring. I love her so much that even when I talk about her and I take the piss, it's, it's completely uh, in her favor. I honor that child. But she's so great that I say, oh, yeah, and they see that I have this superpower. I can take the world's most garbage cum and turn it into a princess. <laughs> like... <laughs> the, like alchemy 
And that's a bit rude for people. Also, again, they're like, well, that implicates her. But again, I, I don't care. I like her dad. I'm just kidding. I'm joking half the time. And I like that joke, but other people don't. And even in the room today, interesting, people are like, nope. <laughs> but, yeah, well, that happens. Let's talk then about, about quality control. What, uh, what sorts of things have you cut from this show and why? Oh, like, I... and maybe think back a few months because the show is absolutely slick as anything now. Well, that's it's really kind. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's, yeah. Okay. Well, I, uh, I talk a lot about being a mom, and that's there's all this. Oh, why do you talk so much about being a Chinese man? Why do you talk? So, because everywhere that Chinese man goes, when he goes to the shop and when he's in a relationship, he is a Chinese man. Like that's his narrative. Um, and so people, just to clarify, is, Catherine doesn't talk about being a child. Ah, I just want to but back. I should do it more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why do I talk so much about being a mom? Well, everything I do is kind of in the framework that I'm a mom all the time. But this show was meant to be a lot more about my little sister, who was my first baby, and she's getting married next month after the Fringe. So I really had to ditch a lot of the mom stuff and the things about my life now. There's still a parallel. I do talk about it, but it's more about where I come from and what I was like when I was that age in my family, in my town, uh, and the, the little scandals that I've gotten myself into over the last year. So is there... Is there um... Like, do you work with a director ever? Do you no. you structure your show entirely yourself? Does it, does it ever does the order change on a night, or do you go that's the script? No, I do change the order. I had notes all over the stage on the first night a week ago. I was still kind of writing it. Uh, I don't have a director, and I didn't really know that people did. And now I'm hearing a lot about directors, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and they do a great job, and I can see that it's great to have another set of ears and eyes on your show. That's cool. Maybe I'll try it one day. There's a man called Jeff Norcott who's really, yes. really talented. Yeah, he's got a show at the Tron at 20 past two every day, and that's free. Free with a bucket. And Free fringe, bring money. Yeah, he's wonderful. And he and I uh, write together sometimes for panel shows. I'll, um, I'll get him in a room and we put our heads together and I'll be like, what do you think about this? And, and you just think he's a right-wing comedian as well and I'm not and it's fun to have an extra kind of person on the case especially when it's heavy news satire yes. we get together a lot and write so do you but get for stand up given that he is so famously or you know like within the circuit he's known to be yeah. uh, conservative yes um, do you find that the do you have political arguments between you about your differing points of view no I mean, by way of making material, I mean, I don't mean do you ever put down your pens and go, oh, I can't cope with this. Yeah. But, you know, is there, is there a tension between you politically so that you, do, you see things from different points of view? Or is, there, or, is there, or is politics completely by the way? No, I think he thinks that David Cameron is as much of a prick as I think he is, but he just, uh, he voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> And when you're, I'm just, there's a couple of, there's a couple of different things I, I want to talk about. Um, maybe we could look at like a, a specific bit of material from your, from this year's show, because I know people can still maybe will have seen it this year or have the opportunity to still. Um, which bit of your show are you most proud of? Oh, my favorite is the beginning because I talk, I go straight into just topical celebrity stuff. And I do like to do that. That's, um, it's not 
it is in a way related to my hometown because it shows a departure from everything else that I talk about, what I've turned into and the stuff that I've always been drawn to. But I love that. I love just a slick, as few words as possible, uh, monologue. Like I grew up loving late night chat shows and watching Carson and David Letterman yes. and stuff with my mom. I love that monologue. It's very, I saw that and I thought that's very TV ready. Oh, I love that it? monologue. I love why? Why? What about it? Just is it, apart from the kind of the uh, the nostalgic elements of that's what I grew up with. What is it that you that you? I mean, is it that you think that's better or what? That was a terrible way to ask a question. But why yeah. is what I'm asking. I just I think that it's challenging to look at the news and write about the news quickly and tight, and that's celebrity news for me a lot of the time. But it is also about the election and Bill Cosby and Oscar Pistorius, whatever. Just whatever's going on in my Twitter feed. Uh, I love to read about that. I love when other comedians make jokes about that. It's just the way that I read the news now. I think it's the way a lot of people read the news. A lot of uh, people find out about politics on The Daily Show. Sure. Not because they've read The Telegraph. Yes. Okay. Something I've always thought would be, and I don't do any topical really, I'm not interested in celebrities. That doesn't, I mean, I like, I know enough of the, like I felt like I knew everything that you were talking about yeah. without really feeling like I engage with the process of celebrity at all. So I'm yeah, the best of both re- worlds. <laughs> uh, I have to write it for people like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. You did a great job. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a writer, I would always think, um, how do you make sure that you, when something happens and then Twitter, ha- Twitter activates oh. and everyone comes up with a fresh comic angle on it or yeah. several hundreds of how do you make sure that your stuff that you're coming up with an original angle, something that hasn't already been covered? I think uh, sometimes if I know that I'm going to do Mock the Week, for example, I won't look at Twitter for a few days. I'll just watch the news. You have to kind of be separate from it so that you don't get stuck. And then you can kind of feel what the easy joke is. You can feel that and you know that's going to be said already. And then sometimes you come up with something that you think is original, but you're not quite sure, so you'll check Twitter then. You'll just type it in or a version of it. You know, the two key points of the joke, you'll type both those words in. And if someone else has done it, usually it's 500 people have done yeah, it. You okay. go, oh, no, I'm not the first one to think of that. I think plagiarism often happens by accident, sure. especially with topical stuff, especially with Twitter. I mean, uh, real-life people are so funny. And they're doctors on the side. I mean, they, they actually... That's upsetting, isn't it, when I you think it. all the hours? <laughs> I could perform surgery. <laughs> so your what do you think of as your strongest traits as a comic what do you think your uh, you mentioned superheroes before what are your what are your superpowers as a as a comedian i think that uh, you need to oh, to have sustainability i think you just have to be like um what's the word durable that's not the word though consistent mm, no i'm not that <laughs> Just keep going, and um, I mean, I know. sorry, I, I don't mean in terms of advice. I mean specifically you. If you were, if you were, are you familiar no, I'm with- talking about me. I think that I'm fully prepared for the time that's coming very soon when I'm not on all the panel shows, and I'm fully prepared for the time that's coming soon that I won't be on tour and I won't have a new show, and there'll be some years that are quiet. And I think that as long as you keep writing, and what's the word? It's not durable. What's the word? Thanks, guys. Resilience? You see these people with real jobs who happen to be funny? <laughs> I can assure you these are all comedians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to be resilient. And, uh, and I know that I've had times before that have been difficult, and those times are coming again, I know. 
Uh, and it's like a trade. If you can build a beautiful wooden table and you keep inventing and loving wooden tables and learning about building wooden tables, there's always going to be someone who wants a wooden table. Is that a good analogy or not? (laughs) I just think I love comedy. I'll always be working really hard, and that's why I have a job now, and hopefully that's why I always will have a job, even though that job is going to change. Yes. I think actually that's very prescient. Being, I I think we can all see comics now who started 20 or 25 years ago, Mm. who caught the wave, who when comedy exploded for the first time in the UK. Yeah. They thought, hey, this is going to be fine. I mean, the case in point would be uh, with the recent contraction of some of the commercial clubs in the, in the UK, yeah. people who were making a very comfortable living and had been for 20 years suddenly finding that their diaries were cut in half and their wages were cut in half. And they, I got the impression that no one was expecting that. And I get the impression now that we've all, as newer, newish comics in the last 10 years, say, we've seen that happen in advance and gone, oh, right, I'd better, just as you said, I'd better be ready to tighten my belt. I'd better be ready to still remember I love the craft yeah. when the opportunities aren't there. I'm almost looking forward to the time that I get to just be a little bit quiet and write maybe a sitcom or God willing. I don't believe in God. I don't know why people say God willing. <laughs> universe willing a film where you have to take those quiet years and you see people at the top of their game do it you'll see frankie boyle lots and lots and lots and then he'll be quiet for a while but he's written a book my friend yes. sarah pasco is not at the edinburgh fringe this year she's writing a book yeah and um, you have to i mean just resilience i think i've always been really resilient and i've always had to really graft i wasn't a waitress because I wanted to work at Hooters. <laughs> so your, but and what are your, what are your powers? What are your greatest kind of talents on stage? Do you think in the arsenal of a comedian, which, in which categories do you think? Okay, well that one, I'm, I'm better at that than I am at that. Um, I'm not great at crowd work or comparing. I think that's really difficult. I'm really terrible improviser. Oh, I went to an improv class and cried because it's really. <laughs> I really didn't like it. Uh, that was bullying. That was hard. But um, I don't. I I think that I have a pretty good understanding for a joke that's going to work, and I think that helps me on stage. I'm pretty tight, or I try to be with a lot of my material. Um, I don't really storytell that much, and I think that again, like you said, people know it does what it says on the tin. Mm-hmm. People kind of, and I'm lucky. I got into comedy at a time that not a lot of women were on television doing comedy. And then I have this 10 years of experience all of a sudden when the industry is looking around for female comedians to put in all their stuff. And it's just the perfect time. It's like if you worked for Microsoft in the 80s. Yeah, okay, that's an interesting analogy. And and all of a sudden the internet exploded and everybody got rich. It's like being a female comedian right now is really, really cool. And that's just luck. I'm just lucky. And do you think at the moment, I I feel like there are loads, at this festival particularly, just for example, Mm. there are so many brilliant female comics doing their first hours that you go, oh, there are going to be, it's going to completely change again in in five years where there will be, enough of those people will have been been here for a long time. Like Almost like the the use of this world, the Sarah Pascoes, have uh, inspired the next generation of female comedians. Yeah, and you see them in your shows, and uh, I've been to see some some female comedians who are starting out at the festival already, and they're really, really great ones. You're right. I mean, it's that whole thing of I can't be what I can't see, 
And I had Sarah Milliken for that here. And I, it makes it more achievable. You go, oh no, there is a chance. I can do that. Just to, just to stay with that idea of kind of, of strategy, you were saying of other comics kind of taking a year, set, you know, change, changing it up. Do you, do you say yes to everything you get offered on TV? Do you turn things down? And if you do, on what basis? Oh, yeah, I do turn things down. I think I used to say yes. I felt like I was on call almost. It's that few years of residency where you have to just be busy, be on tour a lot, do lots of open mics and take everything that's offered to you. But I'm at the point now where uh, I can say no to some things and that's lovely because I'm on tour. I wasn't on tour when I was always saying yes. And I think that takes precedent over a lot of things. And you don't want people to get massively tired of your stupid face, you know. And there are some things that there are talking head shows that'll be like, oh, you know, the top 50 t-shirts of the 20th century. And I just, I don't know it. That's not my area. So I can say no to it now. Okay. But you know you those would... shows that I'm talking about? Yeah. I just can't. I just, not this is it. something I heard secondhand. I heard that Phil Jupiter has said this in the past. It's not a direct quote, but I'm sure he says something along the lines of, you, uh, if you want to be on TV, you have to be someone who's on TV. So you get, yep. you've got to sort of say yes to everything for a while. Like I you did. say, like, like the open mic circuit for TV. You're almost like a TV open micer. But I wasn't saying yes to everything because I thought it would be good for me. I'm so excited to try Let's Dance for Comic Relief. I thought that was so cool to do a Nicki Minaj pastiche for charity. And I went on The Cube recently because I really wanted to and I believe in the charity and I love Mock the Week and I love 8010 Cats and I want to do those things. I'm excited to do those things. So it would be hard for me to say no. If I do say no, it's usually difficult. And it's usually because I've taken one day off a week to hang out with Violet, who's my daughter. <laughs> Did I say that before? Just, you know, Violet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, because she does come on tour a lot and we see each other a lot. She usually is sleeping when I go to work. Sure. It's fine. But, uh, I need to also still be a, a mom and say no once in a while and be at home. I just want to come back to something we were talking about earlier on. I remembered a, a secondary question I had, which is about the idea when you were saying that one of your strengths is that you've got a good sense of what's funny. So you, you go on kind of armed, you know, that the stuff you're going to try is you're very confident that the stuff you're going to try is going to work. Yeah. And, and I'm interested in just knowing whether there is an element of that being something that protects you. Because look, I would think of that, I, I've for years tried to have, you want to have a load of jokes in your back pocket, which are definitely going to work quickly in case you get in trouble, slam, and, you, and you, you know, everyone's back on site. And I wonder, for, like for myself, I wonder whether that is kind of a type of defense mechanism that actually to, that is, that's there so that I don't have to risk kind of opening myself up. And, and I, it's a very different type of comedian to either of us. I saw Tommy Tiernan yeah. uh, earlier tonight, who's improvising an hour of stand-up. Wow. And it's, it def- in his words, it definitely happened. <laughs> um, and uh, I just wonder what your feelings are on that, whether you think in, what are your feelings on maybe the idea of your material protecting you compared to sort of opening yourself to a gig and letting there be more possibility? Uh, I think everybody's different. Every comedian has a different style. I don't think my material protects me. I think my my material is my job. Uh, I don't think that people buy tickets to see me riff necessarily, whereas they would love to see Tommy Tiernan improvise. He's a wonderful improviser. I I absolutely open myself up, but it's through material. I love jokes. I love... And yeah, they don't always land. Not everybody likes everything I say. Of course not. But the jokes that I think are funny... 
I've written them not to protect myself, but that is myself. That's, that's the job. I suppose, thank you. I suppose what I'm getting at is just whether comparing you now to the 10-year-old who was being bullied and going, hey, this is totally fine. Yeah. Whether, like, if she'd had a pocket full of diamond one-liners, no. things might have been different. No, no, they wouldn't have because nobody would get it. They're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop trying to bang that particular drum. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the remaining moments of the show, um, do we have any questions? Would you agree with the concept of quotas for female comics? Does that, is there a risk that that's seen as tokenism? Yeah, I've heard that argument, and you can make many arguments on both sides of it. I do think it's necessary to have the quota right now, um, but it was Ari Shafir, who's an American comedian, who was chatting about this with me the other day, and he had a really interesting take on it. He said that um, when you do that, when you say there must be one, there must be always one, there is a danger, and that is that you'll not want to use the same established female comedians, and there are, at the minute, whether you like it or not, fewer established female comedians than male comedians. So you'll get someone who has less experience. You'll get a two-year comic, and you'll sandwich her in between 25-year male headliners. People see that show go, oh, women are funny. Well, no, that's not about gender. That's about experience. So I think it's tricky, and I think there's no perfect answer. I do think we need something of a quota, uh, but I don't know exactly. I don't have all the answers or else I'd be like, the world's richest commissioner. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's kind of a necessary evil at the minute. It's not perfect, but I don't worry about being labeled as a token because I've been called much worse. So is there a comedian for you that when you think about them, they inspire you? Is there a comedian that particularly, and, and why? Ooh, there's so many and they change all the time. I'm living at the Edinburgh Fringe now with Joe Lysett and Ashling B, who are just magnificent vegans. <laughs> <laughs> magnificent vegans. Yeah. Wonderful. They're just good people and they're good friends and uh they are totally my people. I love comedians. I have not met a bad egg. Well, yeah, like three bad eggs. But uh, I really love Daniel Sloss, who is uh, from Edinburgh. He's always welcoming when people come in. I've always looked up to Frankie Boyle. And I know that he has been, I mean, criticized for lots of different things, not being a feminist. I think he is a feminist. He's a philanthropist. He's more and more political. And he's always on the right side. I love the way that he writes. I love him. I've always been inspired by him. When I was growing up, I loved Joan Rivers and I loved Bette Midler, who I know is not a stand-up, but she's so cool. And I loved uh, Sarah Silverman. I love Amy Schumer and everything that's happening with her right now. Um, There's so many and they change all the time. Stuart Francis is not like me. He's a very gifted one-liner comedian. Uh, My style is nothing like his, but he's always someone that I've looked up to. He's Canadian and he came here long before I did and just really was embraced by the British public. I always am excited to hear his material. I like comedians that I'm excited to hear from, and those are usually the ones who write the most. And what things do you see, without naming names or asking you to identify individuals, what things do you see that make you sigh in comedy? What things do you see where you go, oh, this is the opposite of inspiring? I... I don't like it when... Maybe this is me becoming British... I don't like it when people don't leave room for you to be proud of them. That is the most diplomatic thing uh, I've ever heard. You know, is people, everyone on board with what Catherine means by that? No. Uh, no. Be less diplomatic. I love, I love to see people do well, 
But it's just not cool in in comedy or anywhere else to be like, look at me, look at me, look how well I'm doing, look at this, look at me. Because then there's no room for everyone else to say, oh, look at you, well done. You know, we really love that. I don't like that. It really winds me up. And it's embarrassing. It makes me feel hot. (laughs) I I want good things for good people, but I want them to be like, have a little bit of decorum about it. How does the how does North America uh, versus the UK relate in terms of the political correctness in the light of uh, Seinfeld and Kumar's recent comments? Nah, um, I I love Seinfeld, and I know that that was not big over here, not as big as it was in North America. I watch that every day. Julia Louis Dreyfus is someone else that I've always looked up to fiercely. I lo- I love her. I can't say enough about her. But um, again, I don't have that much experience on the circuit in Canada and in America, but. In my brief experience, I think they are a little bit more politically correct in Canada. Or not politically correct, because certainly America are not correct. America do. They do horrible, horrible things every day. Uh, I always, I don't know. But the the television, I think it's fear more. There's a way of censorship that goes, oh, we can't say that. We don't want to. And I think um, Britain, for me nails it better than anywhere else. I moved here and right away, this wasn't my girlfriend or my boyfriend, this is my partner. And I thought, is everyone gay? I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw more uh, different cultures mixing together and beautiful children. I think, God, I really, I want my next kid to definitely be some Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) On the subject of political correctness, I want a Japanese one because... (laughs) I love it. I, I think it's it's more evolved to have different cultures together and uh, learning about one another. In the, and that's very specific to London, which is such a beautiful melting pot of that. But in television, I've gotten away with a lot in, in television in, in Britain that I don't know that I could say. Certainly not in Canada. We had this garbage show in Canada on the CBC called Little Mosque on the Prairie. Wow. Yeah. That- and that it is was just quintessential Charlie Brooker. Go on. It felt like someone <laughs> spitting in your face every time you watched it. And it was it was a it was a uh, series, and it was written by this lady who, to the best of my knowledge, was not a comedian, but she wrote this hilarious, very politically correct show, and it was so confusing and so weird. And that's the year I left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got time for. Please join me in thanking Catherine Ryan. So that was Catherine Ryan. Thank you so much for for listening. Thanks to Catherine for coming on the show. Thanks to Nathan Wood for co-producing it. And uh, that'll do us for now. More great live shows from the Edinburgh Festival coming out soon. And remember, it's Cannons Gate. Get there at 4.25 for a 4.55 start. Um, if you can possibly afford who I mean, who's got that much free time at Edinburgh? But you can dive in, get a token, and then nip out and come back if you'd like. Um, that's, the, that's the show. That's the show for today. You can hear how giddy I am. I've just had uh, some fizzy drinks, and I'm burning off calories like a good one. Uh, I think I've said everything I need to say. At ComComPod, info at comedianscomedian.com. Watch the website, comedianscomedian.com, for news on merch. And uh, chuck us a donation if you see fit. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you soon. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.